you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success Report. The success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, we have a special guest for Hey, hold, wait, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hold on. That's what? my line, man. <laughs> why, why are you hating? <laughs> clearly, you clearly stole my line, so I guess you're running the so, show. Go ahead. So, I'm trying to tell the, the listener we got a special guest. We're interviewing the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, Tim Moen. Do you know who that is, Darnell? Yes, he's a leader of the Libertarian Party. But why are we having? Oh, I know. I, <laughs> I just said that. Um, we've reached out to Tim Moen because we thought uh, he would be a great person to explain libertarian you might ask well why do we care about libertarian principles well currently Maxime Bernier has has split off from the conservative party and by the time this podcast come out uh, the listeners will know he has created his uh, people's party of Canada uh, which is a is an interesting name I'll just leave it at that but the principles that Maxime Bernier ran his platform on are, are so well aligned with the Libertarian Party of Canada. So much so that the Libertarian Party of Canada adopted the platform that Maxime Bernier had when he was running for the leadership race of the Conservative Party. Also the platform of his new party. Okay, that's good. And and one of the things I wanted the listeners to really pay attention to, the significance of him separating from the Conservative Party and really showing uh, people in general that politics is being done in a particular way in the NDP, the Conservative Party, and also um, in the Liberal Party. So so Maxime Bernier is kind of calling out this public choice theory. So this is when interest groups capture politicians by lobbying large amounts of money to get privileges. So this gives way to bad policies uh, and also like an ever-growing government. So it's very important to see how Maxime is saying, okay, look, let's do it a different way. And this is where the libertarian principles come into play. Yeah, and I, I want to add that, I mean, some people might not agree with this, or, but if you really look at it, public choice theory is, is essentially trying to hinder a lot of people, a really small amount, and then use that, i.e. the you know small tax that they increase, to then buy votes with a, a select group of people based on the lobby. So it, I think public choice theory is something that at the end of the day is hurting everybody, especially if you're not one of the ones getting benefits. Right, right. So, okay, okay. so Joel, why, why should Christians be interested in this? Well, you know, me and you had a great post-interview conversation where you came to libertarianism as a Christian. So, I mean, your principles are founded where our listeners are, but you still came to libertarianism. But the, the interesting part is in the interview, you'll hear I talk about getting there from economics. Tim Moen gets there from being an atheist. And there's such, I think it highlights the fact that there's a pluralistic nature to the political system that I would suggest totally is in agreement with Christianity, right? Love your neighbor, the things about like, if someone's not part of the church, Private am property. I called to hold them? Private property. Am I called to hold someone who's not a Christian to the standard of Christianity? No. Well, libertarianism literally creates that environment. And vice versa, the, the non-Christian doesn't hold me to their standards. Um, if anyone's worried, the ideas of like common law and tort law, like you, you know, those things still would exist. It's this idea, though, of legislating morality and controlling behavior through the law that libertarianism just kind of shirks at. Right. 
So with all that said, Jay Rhythm. Well, roll before the you run the clip, we got to provide some more context. But you're almost on it. Um, <laughs> so for the listener, for the for the listener, after we recorded this interview, the party was announced by Maxine Bernier. Its name. And there's a video from Tim Moen that, that I'll provide a link to, or we'll provide a link to in the show notes page, that Tim Moen is basically saying that the Libertarian Party is going to vote on whether or not to merge with Maxime's party. So check that video out for, for a little bit more context as to where things are going. But I think that because of the potential merger, that even highlights another reason why understanding Libertarian principles is important to, to the public. All right. Can we start? Dessert. And action. Hey, Tim. Thanks for joining us today. Can you, uh, why don't you start by giving the listeners a little context about who you are? Sure. Well, I am um, a husband and a father of four kids who are all, um, our youngest is just starting university on a baseball scholarship in Ohio. We're pretty proud of them. And the other oh, wow. three are kind of off on uh, doing their own careers uh, right now. And um, I, I, most of my, well, my whole adult life, I, first of all, I grew up on a farm in Northern Alberta. I'm a farm boy. And um, my adult career has been pretty much entirely in emergency services as a paramedic and a firefighter. Uh, so I've been doing that for over 25 years, um, putting wet stuff on red stuff and bringing order to chaos and fighting the mindless, destructive forces of chaos that seek to consume us all. And so politics was kind of a natural extension for me um, of of what my job has been in terms of fighting chaos and, and um, kind of bringing order to it. And uh, I was a very reluctant uh, politician. I, it took about probably six months of convincing by someone from the Libertarian Party who saw an article I had written about my experience filming with Neil Young and Daryl Hannah and some of their hypocrisy. They noticed some libertarian um, kind of themes in that article I wrote that got picked up by, by the Huffington Post. And they, they recruited me for the Libertarian Party. It took them about six months and I was very opposed to it because I had just written an article explaining why voting might be borderline immoral and certainly political action was. And um, so it took a little convincing, but they kept bringing up Ron Paul's name. And, and I couldn't deny that Ron Paul had had a big effect on liberty. So um, I, I committed to running a year and a half down the road in the 2015 election. But two days after I made that commitment, my member of parliament resigned. I was thrown into the middle of a by-election, and I had no idea what I was doing. We, we threw a bunch of slogans and memes against the wall, and um, the one that stuck and put me on the map was, I want gay married couples to be able to protect their marijuana plants with guns. <laughs> I got picked up, went around the world, uh, got picked up by uh, Fox News, CNN. This hour's 22 minutes made fun of me, and, and uh, two months later, it, it happened that our national convention occurred, and I was nominated for leader and and one leadership of a federal party. So in a period of six months, I went from explaining to people why political action is immoral to running for prime minister of Canada <laughs> and uh, did a complete 180 on that. So I don't know what that makes me, but yeah. And so for the last, uh, I guess, four years now, I've been the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. Um, you know, I, I was luck lucky to surround myself with some good people. And we, we 
uh, led the party to its best uh, result ever in our, I think, 43-year history. And I think we we changed the face of politics in Canada and influenced it and had a had a big part to play in Bernier's rise in popularity and and hopefully some reform coming to um, uh, to Canadian politics and the Conservatives. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's that's helpful. Uh, so now, for the listeners who aren't familiar with libertarian ideas, uh, can you like expound on that for us? And also how you came to the ideas of liberty? Sure. Um, well, libertarian ideas, I think, are primarily the ideas that Western civilization is built on. You know, um, in fact, I, I would, I, I could characterize the American Revolution and the founding of America as a time when a bunch of libertarians shot the government and formed a new nation. And I, think it was probably, <laughs> I like it. It was pro- probably one of the best nations uh, we've ever seen. It's, it's kind of slid off the rails a, a bit over the last uh, century or so. But, um, you know, so, so we believe in, in those enlightenment principles that the individual, individual is the sacrosanct unit of society, um, that we all have these inalienable rights um, to liberty. And, and uh, you know, we have, um, uh, there, there's a lot of scholarship and work that, and, that has gone into uh, really outlining that philosophy and delineating it. But essentially, it's um, the idea of property rights. Um, you, you own what you go out into the world and appropriate that is unowned, and you are then free to trade the, that thing and, and, um, and that ownership of property essentially derives from self-ownership, the fact that you own yourself and your actions in the world and no one else owns them. No one else can lay claim to you. Um, and, and, um, and so we have the principle of uh, non-aggression, which says you don't initiate force against the person or by extension their property. And that applies to everyone, including government. And government mm-hmm. is supposed to be there to protect you uh, from people that initiate force, not to be the force initiators themselves. And I think over time we see that government has become um, the biggest initiator of force and the biggest threat to liberty uh, that we have. Um, it's no longer the private criminals. It's now the public criminals that, that pose the biggest risk to our liberty. And so how did you, you know, I've, I've actually got a funny story in that I used to work for the municipality here in the city of Mississauga. Um, I'm a CA, I'm a financial analyst at this, or was a financial analyst at the city. And during my, let's say downtime while working for the government, I was taking in lectures from, uh, the Mises Institute. And, um, I really, I mean, I was always very economics oriented. I, I did a lot of economics courses for, you know, my electives in university and whatnot. And I think for me, that's kind of, I just got exposed to Tom Woods and, and Ron Paul, and you know, I I became very anti you know government intervention while working for the government, um, and so right. it's kind of funny, kind of ironic. Uh, I'm just curious how you know in your experience you came to kind of align yourself with someone like Ron Paul or, or Tom Woods, which I just recently listened to you on his show, which I thoroughly enjoyed, by the way. But right. I'm curious about your journey. 
Yeah, well, mine actually started, I took a bit of a different route. I went through a, a rough period in my life. I was going through a divorce and, um, you know, I'd grown up in an evangelical Christian household. And to me, a divorce was uh, kind of like a mortal sin. Like I, I thought for sure I was going to hell and I started looking for any loopholes that would get me out of going to hell. <laughs> um, and, and so I started looking at different interpretations of scripture and, you know, I came across this book by, uh, I think an Anglican bishop named John Shelby Spong that talked about the sins of scripture. And that opened up the door to me to look at, at this unerrant, what I believe was the unerrant word of God in a sort of a different light. And, and it sort of led me down a rabbit hole towards um, the skeptical community and, and kind of the atheist community, I guess. And um, I suddenly realized I had this epiphany. I remember all of a sudden that had I grown up in a different part of the world, uh, I would have a completely different view of reality, a different worldview. If I'd grown up in, in India, I'd probably be a Hindu. If I'd grown up in Iraq, I'd probably be a Muslim. If I'd grown up in China, I might be something else. And so I realized it was entirely because of the family and the culture I grew up in that I had these beliefs. It had, they, they weren't derived from any kind of reason or evidence or first principles. It was simply my beliefs were implanted there and I had zero say uh, in those beliefs. And that was really off-putting to me and it, it really unseated me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I was very despondent and depressed for probably about a year but um, because I realized you know, because we all think that we, we kind of arrived at our beliefs through some kind of rational process. We, we kind of do this ex post facto justification of how we arrived there. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of our beliefs were, were put there by someone else. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time look, examining my beliefs and, um, and, um, you know, that attitudinal disposition I had towards my belief in, uh, a deity, uh, Build over into an attitudinal disposition of skepticism towards uh, government, and I started running into, you know, Ayn Rand, and um, um, you know, I, I watched this movie I remember called "Freedom to Fascism" by Aaron Russo that that called into question the t the whole legality of the U.S. tax system, um, and it, it, again, it started me off on another branch towards libertarianism, and I think ultimately it was probably uh, Penn and Teller's show bullshit that um that really kind of resonated with me and uh you know i i got in there to to learn how to debunk the Loch Ness monster and some of these other crazy claims and i stuck around for the libertarian ideas and it kind of started me on that on that path so uh that was kind of my come to liberty moment i guess yeah it's a pretty interesting journey i would say i know for me i i grew up in a christian family as well and I, I definitely around 20 to 25, somewhere in there, just really started evaluating, you know, scripture and reliability and getting into some of the, the textual arguments. I mean, I think I, maybe I've come to a, a slightly right. different conclusion. I mean, I, I still, I call myself a Christian. I put my faith in the Bible and, and Christ and, and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But I definitely agree that there was a, I, I recognized a level of, I didn't own what I believed and I needed to own it. Right. And, um, yeah. I think, and, and, and I'll say this, I, you know, I was a militant anti-theist for a while 
and uh, would make fun of, of the religious. And I feel bad about that now because, um, you know, the pendulum has kind of come back to the center for me as well. And I've revisited some of these beliefs, partly, I think, from grad school, because, you know, I did this um, I did, part of my research uh, when I was doing my, my MA uh, had to do with uh, mindset. And one of the well-researched ways that we can get plugged into what I would call an optimal cognitive state where your mind is open and, um, you know, on the, on the edge of chaos where different possibilities and, and innovation and creativity emerge to get into that state. Uh, one of the most well-researched ways to get there is through what they call the attitude of gratitude being meditating on things that you're thankful for, or grateful for. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, what, how were we taught to pray in church? It was always give thanks first. And yeah. I think most prayer traditions have that way. So I think there's stuff going on in church and in Christian communities that the hyper-rational discount, that it works for a reason, and um, and we dismiss it, I think, um, at our own peril. So I, I've kind of come back around and seen certainly the value of church and worship and, um, and even belief in God. Um, you know, but I, I'm probably more of uh, a Petersonian type Christian mm-hmm. than than some sort of um, than, than what I was in the past. But I, I certainly have softened my view towards religion and, and Christianity in specific. specific so, I, I find it very interesting that you uh, came to an understanding of the views of liberty uh, from an atheistic perspective and. I was uh, doing some research for the show, looking at some of the interviews you did, and you made a very good point about uh, libertarianism being accommodating to everybody. So it isn't just mm-hmm. an atheist or uh, a religious or religious, but it, but it accommodates everybody. Even like the slogan meme that you had. Um, so the question that I'm asking is, like the idea of individualism and the individual. So you mentioned something about uh, it being like a strength or a, a weakness to mm-hmm. this uh, political view. Can you can expound on that? Yeah, well, you know, the, the strength is that I, I think libertarians are typically people that have maybe been felt or been on the outside of, of the in-group, I guess, going, growing up, right? So they, they might have gone through public school. You, not there's not a lot of prom kings and queens that become that that are attracted to the libertarian <laughs> philosophy. Put it that way, yeah. and and so I think typically if I talk to other libertarians, we typically feel like, have felt like outsiders uh, a good chunk of our lives, and we've kind of been looking at the in group, and this, this makes us very good at kind of objectively picking apart uh, other, you know, the the, the unspoken means that hold these groups together. Um, and, and I think when we come across Liberty, which gives us a very solid framework for, for, um, analyzing systems and analyzing those in groups, we're naturally attracted to that and, and we get it right away. And so I think we're able, the strength of libertarians is that we're able to kind of remain objective and look, uh, and analyze systems and be on the outside looking in. We're not so good at being inside those systems, though. And so when we get into groups uh, where, you know, maybe whether, whether it's the Libertarian Party or some other group and things don't go our way, we kind of call BS and take our ball and go home sometimes. And I think we have to get past that because that, that's probably our biggest weakness. 
and you know, the, the libertarianism is kind of like atheism in that it's it's mostly an attitudinal disposition of skepticism towards extraordinary claims. Mm. So it's it's a non-belief more than it is a belief in something, mm. and and so it says what we ought not do, but not what we ought should do, um, and and so that's a bit of its weakness. And so lately, what I've been doing a lot of in talking to libertarian circles is talking about responsibility, personal responsibility, um, because that's kind of what we should be doing. And that's actually, you know, I think our slogan in this next election is going to be something like liberty equals freedom plus responsibility. And we've talked about freedom all the time and talked about how BS the system is and how BS this government intervention is and that use of forces and this claim is and that claim is. But we don't talk about what people can do to get more liberty right now, which is take more responsibility in their own lives, bite off more responsibility, increase their sphere of influence, uh, make you know sacrifices or trades in the here and now for a, a better tomorrow and, and become more competent people and, and develop their character. Um, and, and so that, I think, is a message that um, I've, I'm really starting to drive home because one of the weaknesses of libertarianism is that it's a non-belief, not a belief that people can rally around. Okay. Oh, no, no, that, 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 was, that was very helpful. Uh, so I was going to say, I see a couple parallels. One, um, on our show, I, I continually bring up this idea that I think we have a moral responsibility to take care of our community. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's through government force. Um, and right. so I'm trying to align myself to some extent with the motivations of some things people want to do by government. Yes. Um, and I, I saw yes, a parallel. Well, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I'll just add, sorry to interrupt, but uh, one of the ideas we developed at convention was the idea of rather than just doing regular campaigning of going door to door and giving a 30-second stump speech on liberty where mostly we're just explaining that we're not liberals, to be honest. Um, why don't we just go do a food bank drive? And if people ask what we're doing this for, just say, look, we're libertarians. We think it's our personal responsibility to look after our community. We, we don't think it's the government's job. And we hand that responsibility to government at our own peril as a nation and as a community and just leave it at that. Yeah. Living um, out, living out those ideals as a, as exactly, a demonstration yeah. for your campaign trail. Um, I was also going to say, I don't know how much you've listened to, I think it's Larry Sharp, who's running for governor in, in New York. Yeah, There's Larry a lot Sharp, of yeah. parallels, I think, in what you were saying. Um, in terms, he, I think he's using uh, the terms like accountability, transparency, responsibility. Um, and so I'll, I'm only bringing him up actually to, to kind of transition to um, Mad Max or, or Maxime Bernier in that, you know, there are... We do see parallels between the libertarian message and, and others, and I just um, I wanted to get your take on you know the the Maxime split, and then maybe also you can uh, provide the the listeners with some context as to you know how the Libertarian Party responded to um, Maxime's uh, leadership campaign. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, the scoop, uh, the whole Maxine scoop. Maybe I'll write a book about this someday. But, um, you know, the, my relationship with Maxine started before he uh, even began running for leadership of the um, Conservative Party. Uh, myself, my campaign manager and some other libertarians um, liked a lot of the things Maxine was saying in Parliament. Um, I knew his, a person that was associated with him, Martine Mass. Um, who is the editor, I think, of, of some, of like a 
some sort of libertarian publication in Montreal, and I'd met with him before. And so we invited Maxine to come to Calgary um, to show him that there would be support for his ideas of liberty, that he could get support. We, we had made all sorts of connections in Calgary um, and in Alberta and Western Canada, and that we thought that support could help Maxime maybe even um, be, be successful at winning leadership of the Conservative Party. And we wanted that voice for liberty on that main stage. So, so it started, um, we started by really encouraging Maxime to run for leadership and, and trying to connect him with people. And a few months later, he announced that he's running for leadership. And, um, you know, a few of the people that had helped me in my campaign also went over and, and um, supported his, Maxine's bid for leadership. And uh, and then when Maxine didn't win, when he lost by whatever it was, I think 12 dairy farmers or something like that, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. he, uh, you know, I, I put out an immediate appeal to Max to dump the zeros and get with heroes. And then I would step aside. <laughs> step aside as leader of the libertarian party if he if he were to join us and he could have have this party and take it to the next level and make history and so i was told by one of his campaign people at the time that he had watched that video about 12 times in a row so i knew he was interested <laughs> i knew i'd piqued his curiosity tempted and i knew he was feeling a bit despondent and we'd had conversations over the course of the, the year after that um, every time he got in trouble with the conservatives, I'd reached out to him. And, and so we've developed a relationship and I've seen his frustration grow. It, it started with, you know, Tim, I appreciate the offer. I'm going to, I'm going to see, you know, how much influence I have in the conservative party here. And, and I'm hoping that they will adopt some of my policies and, and advance them on the platform, on their platform. Right. Um, but he kept getting into trouble. And then I talked to him in June, the last time he really got into trouble when a, part of his uh, book showed up on his website or something like that. And he was criticizing supply management again. And I talked to him and he said that he, he, he was basically told by insiders that the conservatives are going to run a platform based on polls, uh, polling results, not on, um, not on any kind of principle or, or, you know, so there's basically going to be no room for Liberty on the conservative platform is the message Max received, I think. And so he was pretty despondent because what was supposed to happen was he was supposed to come to our national convention and debate me. And he was going to debate me on the topic. Uh, does is Liberty best advanced through the conservative party of Canada or the libertarian party of Canada? Mm. And, uh, it's a good, it's a good, sounds like a good debate. Uh, you know, I'm calling you basically to withdraw from the debate because I can't defend my party in good conscience anymore based on the stuff I'm just learning. Um, so, you know, when I saw these tweets start coming out from Bernier um, this, you know, last month, I, I thought, okay, he's he's forcing that because he's basically in limbo at this point. He mm -hmm. he's not in, he's not out. He's just kind of a person they're marginalizing. He has no voice in the party, right. and so I think he he was trying to force action, either force them to adopt his his uh, viewpoint and and. Um, you know, attach themselves to it or put, push them out. And they chose to push them out. And I think that's where this whole uh, party idea then came from. And, uh, and, and we started having talks about um, the benefits of, of maybe working together. And there's still a few things to resolve, but uh, we might be able to resolve. Okay. Well, that was helpful. So in your opinion, 
uh, for people who've never heard of Maxime Bernier, uh, what makes him so special? And uh, does he have a Trump's chance in becoming prime minister? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Um, Well, I think what makes Bernier special is that he's he's somewhat anti-establishment, right? He's not afraid. He has a, a fair amount of courage, I'd say, in confronting, um, you know, the supply management. It seems like a fairly minor, milk toast kind of issue. I mean, I, I would prefer, you know, uh, the problem is in Canadian politics, we can't have a figure like Ron Paul um, because of the way our our political system is structured. You know, we, our political structure, we don't, we, we have whipped votes in Canada and party discipline is enforced because first of all, the leader has to, has to sign off and endorse candidates. You have to get the leaders party leadership's permission to be on committees and to, to even raise questions and question period. And so if you're on the outs with party leadership, you are a marginalized and, and, uh, player and, uh, you know, it's not like you can stand up and give a fiery speak, speech against your fellow conservatives like Ron Paul did many times on, you know, central banking and, and uh, the, the military industrial complex and that sort of thing. And so what we were left with is uh, Maxine Bernier, who's kind of like a, a watered down Rand Paul even, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's just talking about milk prices for crying out loud. I mean, this is nothing earth shattering for any libertarian or not even all that inspiring for libertarians, but it still takes an incredible amount of courage to do that given our c- political system. And so Max has the courage. And I think, you know, he regularly quotes, uh, Hayek and Mises. And, and so, you know, we we're cut from the same cloth. I think he is a fairly hardcore libertarian. Uh, he, he won't necessarily use that term he lets other people label him um and Mm -hmm. i think he's kind of politically savvy that way um Mm. which is less appealing to libertarians but but it's probably smart if you're trying to get lots of votes so i I think max has tapped tapped into something does he have a trump's chance of winning in you know the next election i don't think so i think he's behind the eight ball in terms of fundraising uh you know, if he goes his own way with his new party, he'll probably won't be able to do any appreciable fundraising for at least six months because it'll take that long before he can actually issue tax receipts. That that mm-hmm. might be one of the benefits of actually joining the Libertarian Party and merging is that he can start fundraising in earnest if he does that. Um, and, you know, it, it like, look, it you, you can't be... Um, libertarian and win a seat in Canada. I don't think, uh, I, I think that if you, if you are able to win an election in Canada, if you win an election, uh, it doesn't say very much about you as a person. <laughs> it says, you know, cause Canadians voted in Justin Trudeau. They love big government. And so if they vote mm-hmm. you in, that means they see you as a statist, a friendly status to their causes. And that's not, so I don't think that very, that's something good about you. So he can win, if he, you know, throws out a bunch of principles and uh, tells people what they want to hear, but, um, but you know, I'm hoping that Max isn't that way and that he's w- willing to make a few sacrifices for a long-term investment in liberty, and and that might involve letting a few votes go in order to win some hearts and minds and tell the truth. Yeah, I would. Um... It's funny because, you know, it takes me to the question then, 
if if he's part of the Libertarian Party or he's not, and people look at the Libertarian Party as the one they align their views with the most, but they also kind of have a realistic view based on kind of the way you summarized it that you know it's unlikely that the the Libertarian Party would win a seat. Why why should someone vote for that party? Right. Well, I mean, first of all, it. If they vote for the Libertarian Party, it's not a wasted vote. Right now, you know, people essentially are lining up at the poll. The question to me, you know, someone asked me this question the other day. Why do you think 30% of people aren't going to the polls and voting in Canadian elections? And my question to them was, well, why would 70% of people go to the polls, line up with all the other tax livestock to put their suggestion in the tax farmer's suggestion box? It's a, it's a pointless, boring degrading process uh why why wouldn't you stay home and make love to your wife or go to the park with your kids or drink beer or watch netflix or even pick your nose if those are (laughs) options on the table why would you go to the poll and i think the answer to that question ought to scare us um because nothing changes when you go vote in fact government just grows Mm -hmm. now a vote for the libertarian party on the other hand and hopefully for max's party if, if he sticks with some principles is sending a signal out to people that they ought to pay attention to what this party is saying, that they ought to pay attention to the ideas. And, and so you can look at a vote for, I think, a principled party like, like us as um, almost like a donation. You know, you send $5 to your favorite podcast uh, to support it. Um, it helps them get the message out. And I think your votes help us get the message out. And so if you're going to vote, um, vote for the party that's going to help get your message out. And, and I think the other advantage is that that you don't have to leave the polls feeling like degraded and or feeling icky, like you you maybe did something unsavory but necessary or something like that. So you can leave, uh, you can cast a clean vote for us. So so I think that you know that those are are the arguments I would make. But if you're not going to vote for us, I'd encourage you to stay home and watch Netflix or make love to your wife. Yeah, I've definitely um, had some. You know, before I had libertarian options, I think. In my municipal election, I just uh, spoiled my vote. Kind of similarly along what you're saying, I was sending a signal. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how effective that was, because, but yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think there's there's a case to be made, especially municipal elections. Your vote probably matters a bit more, right? And mm-hmm. and you can see, and and voting defensively makes more sense even at a municipal level. Like if you see that there's a politician who's going to really uh, harm your community um, while voting against them might make some sense, but I think it, it, it probably makes less sense at a national level where you know the policies that emerge are going to be fairly close to the same regardless of who wins the election. Yeah, I, I know that um, we did a couple episodes on the Ontario election earlier uh, this summer and I, I basically said I look at the, the three parties as you know, most socialist middle socialist and a you know still socialist being you know the conservatives are still a bunch of socialists when you look at the policies um yeah so yeah, i mean you know doug ford's big thing was with you know public education was adjusting the sex ed curriculum right so he's arranging the decks deck chairs on the titanic basically <laughs> um you know the, the the proper message is what's the government doing in education to begin with um, but you know, no one wants to touch that issue. And, and so, yeah, like things like public schools, uh, universal healthcare, all these things that are threatening our liberty. 
um, are not even touched by any of the mainstream parties. So how would you suggest you would get the, or offer to get the idea of libertarianism out there? So people are more familiar with the ideas. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of things we can do. Um, you know, the, 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 I think I had written off politics for a long time as a way of getting the message out there, but I think it's one of the most effective ways of getting out there. I think running as a candidate can help get the message out there. Um, even if it doesn't get the message out there and it builds your character, it, it gets you better at communicating these ideas. Because here's what I find with a lot of libertarians, and this is certainly true of me. I spent a lot of years arguing with people who were wrong on the internet. and not getting very far. And, and I would basically dismiss people and I'm like, ah, these people are idiots and it's so frustrating. And so I got used to people being very dismissive and, and condescending towards me on the internet. And so when I stepped up to run for office and I started meeting people face to face, I had my defenses up. I was ready to go to war and be defending my ideas. But what I found actually happened was very unsettling almost. People were very curious about my ideas. They wanted to hear more. They wanted me to explain things. Um, and I'd never experienced that level of curiosity on the internet. And so suddenly I'm finding myself having to actually communicate these ideas in a meaningful way. And it totally made me a better, better communicator, um, I think. And so that's one thing. I think stepping up and running as a candidate can build your capacity as uh, a leader and as a communicator. Um, for liberty and that's the most important thing is communicating and getting these ideas out there so even if you're not winning any elections you'll be you'll be a better i guess soldier for liberty uh by running but but the other things you can learn the other things that make us more effective i think at communicating the message is understanding that um libertarians have a, a different disposition um than than other people and there's research on this jonathan Hyde has a bunch of research on political personalities. And there are three distinct political personalities. There's a liberal, the conservative, and the libertarian. And we need to understand this, that, that when we're talking to liberals about our ideas, they don't respond to uh, our arguments. They're, they're, they're not hyper-rational. Conservatives and, and liberals are not hyper-rational the way libertarians are. Um, and liberals are, are score very high on empathy, for example. And so they're, they're very emotional and they're, they, and, and so if you want to communicate your ideas to them, you have to appeal to their heart first. They have to know that you care before they care about what you know. And so you really have to empathize with them and understand their fears and understand, um, and, and they have to get the sense that you're on their side before you can ever start introducing these uh, rational ideas. And so you can connect the things that they care about, the thing, you know, they're concerned about the poor, they're concerned about the oppressed, they're concerned about sharing of resources and different things like that. And, and so you have to really sympathize with them and they have to understand you sympathize with them before you can introduce them to the idea of liberty and explain how all the things they care about improve uh, on a substrate of liberty. And it's the same with conservatives, too. Conservatives are more concerned about, you know, law and order and, and civility versus barbarism or something like that. And so, you know, when you're talking about something like the drug war, for example, you talk about they're, they're not going to they're, they're not going to hear, you know, 
talking to them the way you would talk to a liberal about how we need to end the oppression of marginalized people doesn't work for conservatives. You have to talk to them about um, about the fact that that we are incentivizing crime and that crime rates are off the charts and that we don't want criminal gangs. To, we want more order and and sympathize with their position and their fears and then show them how liberty uh, can can make those things that they worry about better. And and um, and and so we need to become more effective. So th- those are the things. And then the other thing is that you know we don't have to advocate for anarchy on, on the political stage. Um, you know I think Bernier's um, Bernier kind of illustrates that point to some degree. I mean he's talking about a very small issue like supply management, and and those small issues can can open up conversations to bigger issues like, okay, well, why is supply management wrong? It's not just about milk prices. It's about these underlying philosophies about when does government, when should government um, use its force? And, and those conversations can happen um, then. So, so I'm a believer in, in, you know, I'm a directionalist, I would say. So, so I have no problem advancing a platform that reduces government by, you know, five or 10% over the next four years. Um, and then using that platform as an introduction to start talking about deeper philosophical ideas and connecting people to the principles and the philosophy of liberty. Um, so I, I think that's kind of how I think about, um, about advancing the message of liberty, I guess. No, that's really good. I think one of the, the thoughts I had with regards to the conservatives um, is this, it's an, I might apply to the liberals as well. Is that there's actually like the free market, the chaos of the free market actually leads to order, and I think that's really hard for people to understand, or yeah. or they operate out of like fear that that's not possible. Right. So I mean, yeah. I was just going to ask you what like that's something small that I see a lot of misunderstanding towards or fear towards. What do you find is the most misunderstood or or hardest idea for people to grasp um from the libertarian you know views or or ideas well i think the biggest the biggest thing for people to grasp is that is that the government is not the answer um to their questions and the concerns they have (laughs) right Mm -hmm. that 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 really is the biggest thing because look we've, we've all been through 12 years of government curriculum and government school and and so we learn very clearly that we orientate towards an authority figure and the authority figure solves our problems and, and government is portrayed as essentially a committee of virtue there to solve our problems and that democracy, AKA, um, you know, our expressing our opinion to government is the most important thing we can do and be a part of. And so everyone is focused on how do we use government to advance our agenda, to, to alleviate all our concerns and our fears. And, um, and so we need to, disabuse people of that idea and and the way we do that i think is not just criticizing government but also telling stories positive stories about how people get by and how things get better without government when there's voluntary interaction um and and so it's not enough i think you're right you know when it comes to talking with uh concern you know one of the big things i see on the horizon now i'm seeing the the rhetoric on the left and right ramp up here in terms of trust busting, uh, Google and YouTube and some of the and Facebook and some of these things that they see as public utilities or something like that. And um, and so we have all our work ahead of us to explain how 
the market can actually make these things better and how it's actually government regulation that has led to these things having a borderline monopoly on a lot of, uh, you know, the, the platforms that, that we use to discuss ideas. Um, and so we need to start talking about, about things that are working and, and demonstrate, tell stories about when the, when the market works uh, so that people get that. Because abstract philosophy, abstract principles um, appeal to libertarians, but they don't appeal much to anybody else. And so we really have to have concrete examples that demonstrate how freedom actually works in the real world and how it makes uh, how it improves results and alleviates the concerns that they're worried about. Well, that's really good. I think, um, you know, the the things that you've talked about with regards to the way that you want to change the, what a leadership or, or a political race looks like in terms of actions versus just simply, you know, boasting your platform as well as, um, you know, the personal communication. Um, it focuses on the idea of liberty as an idea and, and bringing people back to seeing the value of it. I mean, we just today actually recorded a conversation as well about free speech and to some extent the lack of value that so many people see in how free speech actually protects us. Right. Um, but I want to, I want to transition a little before we, before we wrap up. Um, you know, when I look at your, your, your Twitter, Twitter bio, for example, there's a lot, you kind of have a lot of titles and I'm just curious what, you know, your, how you balance all of these things. I mean, is, is, you know, you talk about being a firefighter, paramedic, leadership consultant, um, documentary or filmmaker and four kids mm-hmm. and, and four kids, you know, what is, what is your, you know, personal life slash career look like, you know, balancing being a politician with all these other things. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. About yeah, no, no, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I, I usually <laughs> water what, what's working for me, you know, uh, but probably about 10 years ago, I, I was trapped in a house fire, um, in a hoarder's house and I thought for sure I was going to die. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of regret, uh, the fact that maybe I wasn't the kind of husband I should have been, the kind of father I should have been, that I've been playing small at life and, 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 um, living in comfort and, and security rather than pursuing a life of purpose. And, um, you know, I, I obviously I made it out of the fire, but that was a life changing moment for me. And I decided I needed to, to pursue purpose and meaning rather than, uh, comfort and security. And, and everything changed after that, uh, things, opportunities started presenting themselves. And so, yeah, I've got quite a, a big and diverse resume, I guess, because from that moment on, I wasn't, you know, there was no time to waste. I had to get living. and. Uh, and, and so all those things kind of transpired. And so, you know, I, when, when I, for example, when I ran for prime minister, I resigned from the fire service. I was an acting battalion chief. I cashed in my retirement and I, I started, um, and I focused everything on politics. And I was lucky to have my family support me in that. Um, and now I'm back working again because I have to pay the bills and I basically sentenced myself to work until I'm dead. And that's fine. I, I, I can't imagine what I do with a retirement or sitting still. Uh, I need to be moving, working and doing things. And so, um, 
and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's just whenever, you know, my, my time, my focus now is on making, putting food on the table. And then when I have spare time, it's politics uh, and family. Um, and you know, that, that is where it's at. And so part of me is kind of hoping that, that Bernier, um, and I can work something out with the merger here because I will be faced with, uh, an interesting situation when it comes to the general election. Um, if I'm, if, you know, my career is taking off and if it continues to take off, um, I won't be in a position to put in the kind of effort I did last time. I don't have another retirement fund to squander on getting one or 2% of the vote anymore. Um, so, so, uh, you know, my work has got to come first now. My family matters. And, mm-hmm. um, and so politics is going to have to take a bit of a backseat to that, unfortunately in the next election, uh, unless we can kind of join forces with Bernier. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll work my days off in my spare time on the politics side of things. Um, for sure. Uh, because uh, that's a big part of my life. So. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess that transitions well to like, you know, how can, if, people hear this interview and they they want to support the libertarian party they want to support you you know what's the best way to to do that sure well they can they can join the party and get involved um libertarian.ca i think membership's about 10 bucks or something like that and you can get involved you can sign up and and express interest as running as a candidate for running as a candidate um if you think it might be something you're interested in, sign up and and we'll start a conversation. Um, I think it's a great uh, a great way to to advance the cause by stepping up and taking on some responsibility and and uh, putting your actions where your principles are and doing something about it. Um, so that's one thing. You can follow me on on Twitter at Moen underscore Tim. Um, you can you can find me on Facebook. Friend request me and follow me and um, and yeah, I mean, those are the ways you can kind of stay connected. Okay, we'll definitely um, put those in our show notes page if you know if people want to find the links, make it easier on them. Um, just to follow up with that about becoming a candidate, you know, for people who are curious and that might sound a little scary, or do they have the time mm-hmm. commitment? What you know, what would you say is the, a, a base level of what that would look like, or, or what type of re- time commitment or to, to be, you know, a local MP or running for the local MP? Sure. I mean, right, right now, um, we're looking for a full slate. That's, that's our next step. So, uh, we are, you you don't have to put much of a time commitment at all into it. Uh, literally to be a candidate now, it used to be that you had to plop down a thousand dollar refundable deposit, which was kind of a big deal for some people, you know, they didn't want to be without a thousand dollars for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, that's gone now. So now all you need is to go out and collect about a hundred signatures and file some paperwork with elections, Canada, and you're now on the ballot. Then whatever you want to do after that, um, is up to you. You know, I don't have any high expectations of candidates. If, if we get people just to get on the ballot, that's a huge thing, but you can do as much as you want. You can show up to a debate, if you want, you can go knock doors if you want, go to a few community events. So you, you can take as much responsibility as you can handle. You know, I talked to uh, a university student in Prince George the other day who felt uh, divided loyalties between myself and Bernie and didn't know who to support and what to do. 
and asked what he meant by support. He said, well, just to kind of cheerlead on Facebook. I said, well, have you thought about just being, have you thought about just being a candidate? And he's like, well, I'm a university student. I don't have time. And I, and I'm very introverted and shy and like, I can't do that. I'm like, that is, you're describing me four years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't have a lot of time. I got four kids. I got a job. I got all this stuff going on. Um, you don't have to do much. Just do what you can, you know, what you feel comfortable with. And if, if I had some fatherly advice for you, it would be to step just outside your comfort zone. Make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and take on a bit more responsibility and you'll be a better person for it. And, and so I, I said, you know, so, so I would encourage other people to do that too. Step just outside your comfort zone. I'm not asking you to do a lot here. Um, and, and you'll find that you become a better communicator, that you, you become more influential person and, and you develop your character. And that's what the Liberty Movement really needs. It needs lots of people to develop their character and become really good at communicating this. And so you'll get a lot out of it. And the, and the Liberty Movement will get a lot out of it. And as a result, Canada will get a lot out of it. So you don't have to do put in a lot of uh, effort to, to be a candidate. It's as much as you, you feel like you want to bite off, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, you know, our... I would say, especially me, I'm very libertarian oriented. I mean, that our we did something small. I think. I mean, we essentially started a podcast, and that's yeah. You know, just having our our goal is really having honest conversations about you know intellectual subjects or or things that affect Canadians. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I'm, I mean, if you're looking for a really good producer, we know one. Bad <laughs> <Matt and> Mitchell <laughs> Media. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So. I mean, right. well, and I, I appreciate what you guys are doing because, you know, it, whatever opportunity you have in front of you um, is what you should take. And even if that, even if that's in the Conservative Party or the NDP, even, uh, I mean, if you have an opportunity there and you, that's where you feel comfortable at advancing the liberty message, advance it there. I, I mean, be with people who make your voice strong um, and, and don't 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 encourage you to say or do things that make you weak. Um, yeah, can't, I can't disagree with that. So, uh, we want to thank you so much for your time. I mean, you know, definitely it's, it's cool. Cause I mean, I listen to Tom Woods all the time and he talks about like taking advantage of his podcast to have conversations with people he's interested in. And, and this has definitely felt like that for me. So, I mean, awesome. Yeah. I, and, I, and this was very uh, helpful for me as well. Just trying to understand uh libertarian perspective and still trying to wrestle with uh, my own issues with it but it was very insightful and helpful uh, so yeah thank you yeah great thank you very much i appreciate the time all right well have a good day and, and we'll definitely oh, i'll definitely be voting libertarian <laughs> and i'll it's pray you, about it <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome i'll pray about it too <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good look <laughs> yeah all right. all right thank you very much tim okay thank you guys right, we appreciate you bye bye but you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.